Amen. Take your Bibles this evening and go to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, I am uh, looking forward to the message tonight. Enjoyed uh, studying it and, and, and putting it together and, and really had a lot of rich thoughts that we're not going to be able to even get into, but uh, exciting. Uh, at least I'm going to enjoy the, the message we have this evening. I hope you do as well. Probably won't be quite as animated as things were on Sunday, um, but uh, we'll, we'll look forward to studying the Word of God together tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2 a uh, very rich chapter, very interesting book. You know, the book of Second Timothy, Paul is uh, writing it to Timothy, uh, a young man whom he had, uh, who, he, who he had discipled and brought along, was, was a young preacher in the faith who Paul had sent out to, uh, to minister to churches, especially in the area of Ephesus, and uh, ordaining ministers in those churches and pastors. And really, he's written these books to kind of give him some admonitions, some encouragement, some, some further their training, uh, if you will, as, as he gets into the book of 2 Timothy. So a lot of very, very personal uh, admonitions of a, of a one-on-one. That's why we've pulled from 2 Timothy chapter 2 here, our theme for the discipleship program, program at the church. Uh, it's a one-on-one studying the Bible together. And that's where Paul is coming at this with Timothy is, hey, me and you have studied the word of God together. You've learned these things. Chapter 2, verse number 2. Take those things you've learned and commit them to somebody else that they can teach others also. And we'll, we'll get this pattern going. So there's a lot of uh, personal admonitions admonitions here in this book, in this chapter to Timothy from Paul. And uh, we see Paul encouraging Timothy to be all that he needs to be as a young preacher in one aspect, but basically just as a young man, a young Christian. Uh, he, he'd been, been saved for a while and in ministry, but Paul's just reminding him, hey, you have some responsibilities that you have as a Christian. And Paul gives these in chapter 2 particularly through examples of uh, what you would call a secular career. You look at this person and you see this character trait that you have, we can apply that in our lives spiritually and understand that that as well. And he kind of walks through these different responsibilities and these different vocations. For example, if you look at verse number two, I quoted it already, but in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 2, he says there, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So he's saying, Timothy, you have a responsibility as a Christian, but also as a pastor, to to be teaching others. Uh, This is part of the great commission that Jesus gave, is that we should go out into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to every creature, teaching them to observe all things uh, whatsoever I've commanded you. I left out the part about baptism, baptism in the middle there, but you know the verse on the Great Commission were to be teachers. And you look at a teacher and you see how they instruct uh, the, the students that they have and the pupils they have. And there's some responsibilities that you have there as well. Look at verses 3 and 4. We see another profession being brought out here. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So he here gives him the example here of a soldier. And the, the soldier has a willingness to endure hardness. A willingness to remain focused in the, in the, in the mission that he has to accomplish. You go into verse number 5. Verse number five, he says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. He's giving him here the example of an athlete. Look at an athlete and what can we learn from them? And, and there, there are certain parameters uh, that you have to, to abide within if you're going to be rewarded for your effort as, as an athlete. You've got to follow the rules. And you see that. You have some boundaries that you have to stay within. And Timothy, there's some things we can learn from athletes that we can apply to our lives as Christians. 
In verse number six, he's given another example. The husbandman that laboreth uh, must be first partaker of the fruits. So he gives the example of a farmer. Look at a farmer. See how patient a farmer is. See how hardworking a farmer is, how diligent uh, he is. He has to do that if he's going to see any fruit. In verse number 15, Paul gives Timothy another example. He says, study. Study to show thyself approved. He says, look, there's a student aspect to your Christian life. You need to be learning. You need to be growing. You need to be developing and and, and growing growing yourself in your wisdom and in your intelligence and your knowledge of the word of God. So he challenges him there to be a student. He goes on in the verse to tell him he's also a laborer. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. He says, you've got some work to do. Not only do you need to be studying, you need to be be doing your work um, as well. You have to be a student. You have to be willing to work. These are both necessary characteristics of a good Christian. We need to be learning and we need to be doing. Be hearers of the word and doers also. We have this, this, th- these two that go hand in hand and Paul's linking them here in this verse. And just kind of as a side note, it's a good thing to develop in our young people, in our, in our children, these two aspects. That they need to be good students. Uh, they also need to be good workers. And neither one of them are natural. Kids aren't naturally going to say, oh man, I want to go out and, and be a hard worker. I want to go out and be a good student. They have to be motivated that direction. But generally, um, for, for most kids, once they're motivated in that direction, they want to go to one or the other. Well, I don't want school. I just want this. Well, I'll do school and I'll, I'll sit in the corner and read books, but I don't want to go outside and do any work. You got, you got to keep both of them together. They need to be a worker. They need to be a, a, a student as, as well. William Francis Butler, he was an officer in the British Army in the 1800s. He said, the nation that will insist on drawing a broad line of demarcation between the fighting man and the thinking man is liable to find that its fighting is done by fools and its thinking is done by cowards. Um, very profound statement there. And, and while he's applying that in a military context to the, to the scholars and the soldiers, we can see the same application to be true. If you, you have somebody that only studies but won't work, you have a lazy student. If you have somebody that only works and isn't willing to study, you have an ignorant worker. And, and that's not what we need to be pursuing for our young people, but also in our lives as Christians. We don't want to just be people that know it all but don't accomplish anything. And we don't want people that are working without knowledge because we, we have, there's a, references in the Bible to that, having a zeal but not according to knowledge. So those two go hand in hand. He says, Timothy, in some ways you're a student, and in other ways you're a workman, you're a, a laborer. So, so Paul gives all of these different professions and illustrates the responsibilities that Timothy would have as a, as a pastor over these different congregations that he was in, involved with, but also as a Christian in general. You have to be willing to go through hardness. You have to be willing to work and to wait on the fruit. You have to be willing to put in the effort to be a good student and, and the labor to be a good worker. Throughout all of these, however, there's an underlying theme that I want to get into this evening. Throughout these different professions and these illustrations that were given, there's the underlying idea that there is someone that we're doing these things for. And you look at these, these that Paul kind of bring, brings out. Notice in the illustration of a soldier, Paul says that he must endure hardness um, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, it says that he, um, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. A soldier works and a soldier, a soldier endures hardness and goes through difficulty and remains focused on the mission and cuts his ties to, 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 the, to the world and to his home life so he can be focused on pleasing the one who has chosen him to be a soldier. 
A soldier fights for his king. A soldier suffers for his king. He endures for his king. He strives for his king's pleasure. What about the athlete? When, when he brings out the athlete, he says when he strives, he needs to strive lawfully. Why, why is he saying that? Well, because there's somebody watching the athlete. There's a judge who's saying, looking at what the athlete does and how he does it and saying, okay, does this man measure up? Is he abiding within the rules? Can we reward him for his labor because he's striving lawfully? He's kind of indicating there that there's a judge watching what is going on. We see the farmer. The farmer is judged by his fruit. If he does not labor, he's not going to get to eat. And in verse 15, Paul really fleshes this idea out in its, in its entirety um, by saying that we are, um, we are study to show thyself approved unto God. God is watching what you're doing. When you're a soldier enduring hardness, God's watching. When you're a soldier detangling yourself from the affairs of this life, God's watching. When you're a farmer and you're laboring and you're trying to bring forth fruit, God's watching. When you're an athlete and you're trying to live within the boundaries that God has set and you're striving to, to have victory, God's watching you. When you're a student studying the word of God, God's watching. When you're a laborer, God is watching and we should be, be doing these things with the goal of bringing pleasure to God. Of being, what I've titled the message tonight, approved by God. Approved by God. Tonight I want to look at that idea. Are you interested in God's approval? Do you want God to be pleased uh, with the way that you live your life? It says there in, in verse number 15 that we can be, um, say, show thyself approved unto God. And it says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Those are our two options. We live in a way where we receive God's approval, or we live in a way that we should be ashamed of the way that we live as believers. you got, you got one of the two. You can be approved by God, or you can be a workman that should be ashamed because you're not, you're not living up to what God ex- expects from you. We want God's approval. Today we're going to look at this pattern given to us in this chapter of how we can live in a way that we can say we are approved by God. And we're going to look at a couple of verses and then get into the message tonight. So if you have your Bible there, you found your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verse number 15 and then at 19 down through 22. I'd invite you to stand with me if you are able for the reading of the word of God. We have verse number 15, then 19 through 22. There the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jump down to verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. In verse number 22, this kind of is, is the main thought we have this evening. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call upon the Lord, are, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. Pray we learn from these examples that were set out by Paul in the scriptures for Timothy to learn from, uh, that we can live in a way that we can be seeking your approval and your pleasure for the things that we do, Father. Pray you bless the time around your word this evening. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Approval. Approval. It's a, it's a very powerful word. It's something that everyone naturally desires. 
It's the reason that why I, as a father, often come home in the evening to a young person, a child, waiting to say, come look at what I did. They want to show me what, what, what they've done, what, what they've accomplished, and, and whether that be cleaning their room or a picture they colored during their, their schoolwork or, or they got all their questions right um, on, their, on their test or, or whatnot. They, they're waiting to see and to get approval. Different generations have handled this differently, um, usually in the extreme. There have been generations who are of the mind to never give or, or show approval. This is where you hear of folks saying, I never heard uh, my dad tell me he was proud of me or never heard my dad tell me uh, that he loved me. And that's kind of one extreme of it. And then we went to the other extreme with my generation, the millennials, where uh, they, were, they were approved for everything. You got, you got a standing ovation for, for waking up in the morning and you got participation trophies for, for showing up to showing up to practice and kind of um, affirmed and applauded for everything. And now they go to work and don't feel safe because nobody's clapping for them for showing up on time. Uh, and, and so you kind of went to another extreme. And as with most things in life, uh, the, the truth isn't found in the extremes. It's found in the balance um, of the two. Approval is an important thing. If we never give approval, people are going to find it somewhere else. Seeking approval can cause people to do some pretty terrible things. It's especially true for young people. If they can't find approval at their home, they're going to turn to their peers and find approval. And peers are going to give them approval for the wrong things. Or they're going to make them purchase that approval by doing something. This is where initiations and things like that come from. Is they want approval. So, okay, you want to be part of us? Well, this is what you need to do first. And a lot of young people are dead or in prison because of seeking approval from a peer because they didn't find it in their home. And so we need to be, we, we need to be careful with that and make sure we're giving approval for the, for the right things. Think of David. David in the Bible, there, there, there's an amazing story from David's life after he was crowned king. He saw victory with Goliath. He saw victory leading Saul's armies. And then Saul turned against David when he heard some people singing about David and how David had killed his ten thousands and Saul had only killed his thousands. And Saul develops jealousy and bitterness towards David and begins to, to hunt after him. And there's a point of discouragement and despair in the life of David where he says, you know what, I can't get Anybody to be happy with me here in Israel, I'm going to go join the Philistines. And the future king of Israel, who'd been anointed by God to lead God's people, left the, the nation of Israel and traveled to the, the nation of the Philistines. And he actually moved into the town of Gath. Gath was Goliath's hometown. And David moved there for a little while, and he stayed in, in, um, in Gath in, in the, with the Philistines. He ended up moving out of that city, but still working with the king of the area of Gath. And he fought underneath his army, and he, and he did, did raids for him. And, and the king of the Philistines loved David and said, man, this guy, this guy is great. And David found that approval that he didn't get from the people of God. He found it with the enemies of God. That approval. And there came a point where the Philistines were going to march against Israel. And it was the battle of Kadesh where Saul was going to end up losing his life. David marched to that battle with the Philistine king. Now the other Philistines said, hey, we don't want that guy around. That guy's, that guy's an Israelite. He's going to tr turn on us the battle. So David got sent home. When he did, he said, why? Aren't you pleased with what I've been doing? And the king said, well, I'm pleased. But these other guys, they, they don't want you to come. But you have the future king of Israel going to the world because he found approval. Somebody pleased with him. Somebody who, who, who recognized what, what he was doing. And that's a dangerous thing when we, especially with our young people, but in, in, in the midst of uh, one another, looking for and encouraging those who are doing right. Because if they can't find approval here, they're going to go look for it somewhere else. That happened with David. Approval is a powerful thing. 
if we're seeking for it in the right places. In this passage, Paul encourages Timothy to find approval with God. He tells him that when we do the things God expects of us, we can find God's approval. We do not need to be ashamed. So in these next few verses, we're going to look at four principles we need to have in our lives if we're going to live a life that is approved by God. Number one, we see it in verse number 19 that there must be a foundation. There's a foundation. If you're going to have approval from God, it starts with our foundation. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, who cons- or, sorry, that's verse 18. Nevertheless, 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stand ashore. There is a foundation, and that foundation has been set by God. God has set the foundation for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You cannot hope to be approved by God in your life unless you have the foundation of Christ established in your life. Salvation is that miracle of a moment where a person puts their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And only then do they become a child of God. John 1, verse number 12, the Bible says, To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, God established a foundation in your life, the foundation of Jesus Christ. You became a son of God. God wants you in his family, but that cannot happen until you're born again in the family of God. Do you have that foundation in your life tonight? We're here tonight on Thursday night, the, one of the core groups of the church family, and I believe most of you in here would raise that testimony. Yes, I am saved. God established that foundation. God set that foundation in my life. And if you have that testimony, well, you're on your way to seeing God's approval in your life because that foundation has to be set first of all. We see also that there is some surety that comes with that foundation that God gives. You know, a structure can only be as sound as its foundation. You have a weak foundation, you have a weak structure. Uh, The story that Jesus gave of the wise man and the foolish man, one who built his house on a stone, one who built it on sand, that has to do with the foundation. A few years ago, when I was in Alaska, um, I was helping somebody build a shed. And they kind of had an interesting um, system for the foundation. They had these big cinder blocks that they had. And then there were these, these leveling screws. And they built, the, they built the shed on top of the leveling screws. I said, well, what, what's going on with this? They said, well, the ground shifts up here so much because the frost goes down about eight feet deep into the ground um, that the ground is always moving. So every couple months we got to come out here and move these screws to re-level the shed because the ground's changing um, all the time. And if we didn't have these here, the shed would just rip up part because there's no shore foundation. I said, well, why don't don't you just dig a footer? Well, a footer in that area would have to go about five feet deep digging into frost. So it's a lot easier just to put a cinder block with a leveling screw um, on it, especially when it comes to a, comes to a shed. Foundation, it can only be, uh, building can only be secure as its foundation. People have attempted to build their own houseboats. Uh, They take little platforms and and they screw them together and then they try to build a structure. And and it all sounds good on on paper. Uh, But then they start putting together and the the water starts moving and all those sections start moving. And and a building will literally literally rip itself apart because the foundation is is not stable. We can only build a successful life approved by God if our foundation is sure. Now, if you're saved tonight, you have a sure foundation. That's established. That's settled by God. Notice verse number 19, what God said about that foundation. Verse number 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. 
We see this foundation that God's given us. It's a foundation that stands. We have the song. The Bible stands. Though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Our foundation is Jesus. He's not going anywhere. He's not shifting. He's not moving. He's not changing. Uh, an earthquake can't touch him. Uh, the society can't move him. Our foundation is sure because our foundation is Christ and the Word of God, and it's not going anywhere. It's a sure foundation. In fact, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is a foundation that stands. It is also a foundation that is sure. The foundation of Christ and the life of a Christian can be relied on. Because it's not dependent on the believer. It's dependent on God. If it were up to me to keep my foundation in place, uh, there'd be no hope. I I couldn't keep it there on my own. I often wonder how somebody, how how could somebody even live or, or, or function or operate with the wrong theology and it's wrong theology that you could lose your salvation. Somebody that really believed that, if they believed that their sin caused them to lose their salvation, I don't know how they would function. Because even just something as simple as being saying, you know what, I'm doing a good job. I have my, I have, I'm doing everything right and I have my salvation under control. I'm doing, well, that's all pride and that caused you to lose your salvation. So you could never be confident. You could never be sure. But we don't have a salvation that relies on us. We have a salvation that relies on God. So it is a sure foundation. We don't have to be unstable. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's a foundation that is, stands. It is a foundation that is sure. It's also a foundation that is sealed. Look at that amazing phrase put there in that verse. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. When you get saved, your security is not based on what you know. It's based on what God knows. God put a foundation in your life and he put a bronze plaque right on the front of it that said, The Lord knows who are his and this one belongs to me. Wow, what an amazing truth that that is. God knows whether or not you belong to him. So we see that that foundation, it was put into our life. It was established by God. It is a sure foundation. And then we got to look at the next step is the structure. The structure that goes on our foundation. Because if you look back in 1 Corinthians, we have the principle that God put the foundation there, Jesus Christ. Now it's up to us to build something on that foundation. If you're saved, God put, it, put a foundation in your life, and it's now up to you to build that structure upon it. Imagine um, brother, uh, brother Glover, he, he goes to big construction sites all the time. Imagine going to a construction site, and you see there this nice, big, um, concrete foundation. The good footers, everything's square, everything's level. It's got a nice, slick finish on it. They've got it all troweled out, bull floats and everything. It, it looks beautiful, and the, the, the foreman or the project manager shows up, and there's the beautiful foundation, and the construction guys are building the house over here in the yard. Like, well, what, what are you doing? You, you, this is the foundation. This is where the building goes. But, but you're, well, we like it better over here. Well, the, the, you got better sunlight over here. That doesn't matter, those things. You build the house on top of the foundation. But as Christians, God put a foundation in our life and says, here's Christ. Here's what you base your life on. And we say, you know what? I like stuff over here in the world a little bit better. I'm going to build this all up over here, and it's going to be so beautiful, but it's going to be of things that don't last. God says when you build those things, wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn up. When we build our life in the world, instead of on our foundation over here, we're missing out on what God wants for us. We're missing out on God's approval. You have to put your foundation. You've got to put your building of your life on God's foundation. Don't, set your, don't, don't have God set up a foundation in your life and you never touch it again. Say, well, I'm going to just put my life all over here. 
We build our lives up of so many things that don't matter, that are temporal, that are going to go away one day. And we miss out on all the eternal things that we could be building on the foundation that God set in our life. It's up to us to put our lives on God's structure, build something of value. Christians that, according to the Bible, should be ashamed have established their life on something other than their foundation. If they're more interested in being approved by the world than they are being approved by God, they'll build their life of worthless things in the world instead of building it of eternal things on God's foundation. We don't have time to go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3 goes into a lot more detail about how you build your life on God's foundation. So we're looking tonight at God's approval. How do I have God's approval on my life? We saw, first of all, that approval is based on our foundation. You're saved, you know you're saved, and you're building on the foundation Christ laid in your life. Secondly, we see there are some things that we need to flee. You've put your found, God's put your found, his foundation in your life. You're building on it, and then there's some things that you need to get rid of. Things that you need to put in your life, there's certain things, but there's also things that need to come out of our lives if we're going to be approved by God. This whole chapter, is, as Paul is dealing with Timothy, he gives him several examples of these things that as, as a young Christian or as, as someone who wants to please God, you need to get away from these things. The first of these we see in verse number 16. Well, we see, we see him referencing this idea of, shunning, of, of getting rid of things. Verse number 16, he says to shun them. Verse number 19, the other seal on the foundation, the one seal says, the Lord knoweth them that are his. The other seal says, let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Verse number 21, he says, there's some things that you need to purge yourself from. And in verse number 22, he says, there are things that you need to flee from. So he gives them this idea, hey, there's some stuff you've got to get out of your life. You have to stay away from. If you want to be approved unto God, if you want to be not ashamed, there's some things that you have to flee from. And there are three categories that he gives in this chapter of things that we need to flee from if we're going to live lives that are approved by God. The first of these is wrong beliefs. We see this in verse number 16. You need to get rid of wrong beliefs, wrong theology, uh, wrong ideas that go contrary to the word of God. You need to flee from those. You need to stay away from those. There's lots of warnings in the New Testament about not giving heed, not listening to false teachers. You need to have some discernment on, on who you listen to and who is instructing you so that you can guard your heart from wrong beliefs. These wrong beliefs are set in contrast in verse number 16. To verse number 15, where he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. You, you study the Bible, you learn what's right, and then you avoid the things that are wrong, the things that go contrary to the word of God. Anything that you have in a, as an idea that goes against God's word, you should flee from that idea. I've been, in the last couple of months, I've been witnessing to a, a family that I know uh, that is a Catholic family, and, and the, the, the wife and the family is really... Trying to, trying to get her, her mind around, what, what's the difference? Why, why, why are you different than me? What, what's the difference between your church and my church? And I've explained to her, it comes down to a matter of authority. As, as a Baptist, as a Christian, we go to the Bible and we say, whatever the Bible says, that's what's right. It's the Bible is our sole authority of faith and practice. That's kind of the fancy way of saying it. But I believe what the Bible says. Any other denomination adds to what the Bible says, and then they have a challenge to God's authority. They put what the t church teaches, or what the elders say, or what the church father said, and they say, well, that's, that's equal with the word of God. But when you have two authorities that are equal, and one disagrees, you find out who has more authority. The one that you go with. And so when you have 
the church says this and the Bible says this, well, I'm going with what the church says. That means the church has more authority than the Bible does. And, and every denomination to one extent or another puts their authority over God's authority. And God says, flee from that. Flee from that where you would say, um, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do this instead. That's how it looks in our life. We're, 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 not, we're not Catholics. We don't have all these principles that have been handed down through the, through the church fathers and the texts and the creeds and all of these things. But we have some of our own ideas where we can come to the Bible and say, well, I know that's what God said, but, but this is how I do things. God says, flee from that. That's wrong thinking, wrong beliefs. When you have something that, co- that contradicts the authority of the Word of God, you always go with the Word of God, not, not what you say. Whether or not we understand it, whether or not we, 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 um, we ha- have a full grasp of it, we go with what the Bible says because the Bible has full authority in our lives. Wrong beliefs, you have to flee beliefs. You have to flee those if you want to be approved by God. Secondly, we see in verse number 19 that we're supposed to flee wrong actions. That verse where it says God's seal on that foundation in our life that says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Name the name of Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, if you claim Christ as your own, what should you do? Depart from iniquity. Let everyone, that's all of us, if you name the name of Christ, if you're calling yourself a Christian, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm like Christ. Well, did Christ have any iniquity in his life? No. So if we're going to claim that, he says we need to depart from iniquity. Sin has no place in the life of a believer. Yes, we all have areas where we fail the Lord as believers, and we must come to him for forgiveness. That's why God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. But that's not an excuse for our actions. We still have the responsibility to be holy as I am holy. We have a responsibility before God to flee sin. Job was a man who had God's approval. You look at Job chapter 1, and when God brings Job out to Satan and says, Hey, have you thought about this guy? Have you looked at this guy? And God gives a description of Job, describing the approval he had for Job. And one thing he says of Job is he is a man that is upright, he feareth God, and he escheweth evil. Escheweth evil. That's something that Job did. He eschewed evil. What what does this word mean, eschewed? Eschewed means to run away from. When Job saw evil, he went the other way. And God says, that's a man that I'm proud of. That's a man who has my approval because he runs away from sin. He turns away from sin. At the Marriage Matters Conference we just had last weekend, um, we stay up there at the Hershey Lodge. And where, where the way it's set up is we have the meeting space way off this way and about four miles away. We have our rooms. It seems like that when you're walking. Um, but to get from one to the other, you have to go through the lobby area. Now, the lobby is a very, very big area. They have a restaurant. They have a coffee shop. They have... Um, air fresheners that smell like hot cocoa to make you go into the coffee shop. They have a huge fireplace, and then off to the edge there, they have a, a bar area where later in the evening, as we're dismissing 10, 11 o'clock from the sessions to go back to our room, there are people over there that are drinking. And uh, this year, we had some feedback cards people were filling out, and somebody mentioned on those, and people have mentioned in years past, it's kind of uncomfortable to, to walk through this area. You're not really walking through the bar area, but it is off to the side as you're heading towards your room, and I really appreciate that that made them uncomfortable, uh, that you as a Christian aren't comfortable in that, in that environment with, with what was going on there. And I'm not saying anything about this individual or any other individual who's noticed it before. I commend them for having noticed it, but I, that's not the only way to get to your bedroom. There's other ways. They're just a lot less convenient. Like you could go outside and walk around to your, you could eschew the evil that was going there and go outside and go around your room another way. 
You could eschew the evil that was in there and come into the lobby, walk around the fireplace this way and come around. But it, it, it'd take a lot more walking. It'd take getting cold. And just as, as, as a silly example there, there's a lot of things that we're uncomfortable with, but not enough to inconvenience ourselves. Eschew with evil means saying, I'm going to stay as far away from that as possible. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to avoid that situation. A lot of us aren't there. We're, yeah, I don't, I don't like that, but, but not enough to, to go outside and be cold. I'll just, I'll just deal with it for a second. You know, I don't like the way that the guys uh, at work use God's name, but it doesn't bother me enough to say anything about it. Uh, I don't like the way people talk around, around the break room or, or in the lunch table, but... but it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel bad enough that I'd want to go sit by myself and, and avoid the situation. How, how much are we willing to avoid that which is evil? I, I don't like the signs that are on the road, the billboard on the way to work, but, it, but it'd take 10 more minutes if I took a back road and avoided uh, that situation. How, how willing are we to flee from evil? Yes, it bothers us, but does it bother us enough to do anything about it? Job was a man who said, I'm going to flee from that. I'm going to stay away from it in my life. When I see it, I'm going to turn, I'm going to go the other way. We see in the example of him with his children that he said, you know what, just in case there was something wrong, I'm going to go ahead and, and make a sacrifice, just in case, because he hated evil that much. And that's what God wants us to do. You live a life approved by God. You've got to flee wrong actions. So flee wrong thoughts or wrong beliefs. You flee wrong actions. And thirdly, we see that we should flee wrong desires. This is in verse number 22. Flee wrong desires. This verse says, flee also youthful lusts. A lust is a desire for what appeals to our flesh. And we're specifically warned to flee from lusts because lusts are what draw us into sin. James chapter 1 tells us this, that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And lust, uh, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So God says, avoid the lust and you'll stay away from the sin. You flee from these things. You must learn areas where your flesh has wrong desires and flee from those things. Some examples here for you, you know, a lust or, or a fleshly desire can be connected to a time. What do they always say when you're, when you're growing up? Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Uh, there are times when it's easier to do things that are wrong. David, when he sinned uh, with Bathsheba, the Bible specifically says it was the time when the kings were at war. And David wasn't there. There was a time. There was a time that David was doing what he shouldn't have been doing, and that got him into the situation where he sinned. So avoid those times that can, can draw upon our lust. A lust can be connected to a place. David was at the palace instead of at the battle. When he brought Uriah home to cover up his sin or to try to cover up his sin, Uriah didn't go home to his wife. He slept outside. Why? Uriah said, I have a place I'm supposed to be, and it's not with my wife right now. It's supposed to be in a place of discomfort, enduring hardness like the other soldiers are doing. And so I'm going to avoid the place. There's nothing wrong with a, a man and his wife spending time together. But the Uriah said, this isn't the place that I'm supposed to be. And he was more noble, the king, and, and, and he stayed out of that situation, unlike the king, because he wanted to be in the right place. I went to the doctor. I told him I broke my leg in two places, and he told me to stop going to those places. Um, but... That's the way sin works. Well, I got into this situation, and, I, and I, I got to this place, and I fell into sin. And every time I go there, every time I'm with that person, I fall into sin. We'll flee from those places. Free, flee from those lusts, as the Bible would put it. You know, a lust can be connected to an attitude. Some people lust to be a glutton on ice cream whenever they're sad. So when you're sad, don't go buy ice cream. 
So, so learn the things that, that what, the, what the worldly term would be or the psychology term would be would trigger you going into these wrong actions. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Avoid these wrong desires, these things that put you on the path towards sins, flee wrong desires. If we want to be Christians approved by God, we have that foundation established in our life of Christ and we're building on that. We're fleeing those things that are wrong and God goes on to tell us that there's things that we need to be following. Things that we're going after. He says in verse number 19, flee also youthful lust, but follow, let me find my place here. No, verse 22, I'm sorry. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. He said there's things you need to run away from and there's things that you need to run after. This word follow is an interesting, interesting word. It carries the idea of running after, pursuing, going after something. But an interesting aspect of this word is it can kind of carry the idea of persecuting. And, and, and I was like, what, what's the connection there? Persecuting, it, this word follow, well, the idea there is the idea of relentlessness. Going after it again and again and again and again and not giving up. And you, you think of, of someone who was being uh, persecuted or, or tortured to try to get them to maybe recant their faith in, in times past. And they would come again and again and again and again trying to get what they wanted. That's the attitude we should have towards these things of God that I'm going to go after it again and again and again. And I'm not going to stop and I'm going to keep pursuing and I'm going to keep following after. I'm going to keep hounding it, be relentless. I'm not going to give it a break. I'm going to follow or pursue these godly attributes. I want to do what is right. And God gives us four things here. Four things that we as Christians can follow after or we can pursue. He says follow after righteousness. Very simply, righteousness is doing what's right. I want to be relentless or focused on doing what is right. You know, this will make us a lot easier to, uh, to avoid or to flee from things that are wrong. If I'm always chasing after doing what's right, I'll stay away from or I'll be running away from those things that are wrong. Instead of putting ourselves in a position to do wrong, we find opportunities to do right. Did you know that every temptation to do wrong is an opportunity to do what's right? Every temptation we have to do something that's wrong, we have a chance to do what's right. But it goes back to what are we after. Whatever, wherever you end up is where you are headed. So when you get to that situation of I have a choice here for wrong or I have a choice for right and I ended up in wrong, that's because that's what I was pursuing. Instead of pursuing what is right. He said pursue righteousness. Follow righteousness. He also tells them to follow faith. Follow faith. This is, this is obedience to the word of God. Whatever God said, I'm going to do it, whether I understand it whether what, completely, whether I, no matter how I feel about it, I'm going to do what's right because that's what God said to do. That's faith. By faith, we can go through the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter there. By faith, Abraham went out. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, um, uh, Sarah, by faith, Moses, by faith, the parents of Moses, all over and over again, they, they, they believed what God said and they acted upon it. And even though they didn't completely understand, even though they didn't know where they were going, they said, God said it, I'm going to do it. And God says that should be the attitude we are pursuing as Christians, going after whatever God said to do, I want to do it. And I'm going to be in the word of God. What God, what do you want me to do? I'll be after those things. That's pursuing faith. Charity, follow after charity. What is charity? Charity is love. 
It's the love that God has. It's the love that sacrifices of yourself for the good of another. It's the love that God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A love of of others that causes you to sacrifice yourself. Pursue after that sacrificial love that you have for the Lord. Your love that you have for God, say, I want to give up of myself in order to please God. I want to chase after that. I want to have that heart. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Are you after me? Do you want to give of yourself to please me? Love God that way. Love your church family that way. Other believers, especially them that are the household of faith, Galatians tells us, that we should have a love for our church family where I'm willing to give of myself to make sure somebody else's needs are met. I want to love others that way. I want to pursue that. And what about the lost? Are we willing to give of ourselves because of our love for the lost? Am I willing to sacrifice some pride to talk to somebody, to give out a track, to invite somebody to church, to, to walk across the street and talk to a neighbor? Do I have a love for the lost that way? I need to pursue that. Pursue a heart for others, the same heart that God had. Jesus left heaven for sinners. Can we leave our houses for sinners? Pursue after charity. Pursue after love. And finally, peace. Peace. Are you after peace? You desire to have peace with God in your life. That comes from these other things. Fleeing sin. Following what is right. And seeking to have peace in our our lives with God and also peace with others. Romans tells us, as much as lieth within you, if it be possible, live at peace uh, with all men. That we should have peace with one another. A church that loves one another is a church that has a great testimony with the world. And a church that's bickering and fighting aren't representing Christ very well. So a love for each other. Follow after these things. He says, pursue them. Go after these things. As Christians, if we want to be approved of God, we have that foundation established in our life. We have the responsibility to flee from those things that are wrong. And we have a responsibility to follow after those things that are right. And here's a fun thing. God says we get to do it with some friends. We get to do it with some friends. Look at the end of verse number 22. He says there, follow after, sorry, I lost my place. Follow, at, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. What's the next two words? With them. With them that, that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We get to do this together. God doesn't have lone rangers when it comes to living the Christian life. He set things up in a way that we're to be joined to a local assembly called a church. Now, when you're joining yourself to a church, these other principles come into play. You want a church that's holding to the strong foundation that we have. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. You want to be a part of a church that has a good foundation. You want to be part of a church that's fleeing from the things of the world, the things of the flesh and things of the devil. Not a church that's going after those things. A lot of churches going after things of the flesh. You want to be part of a church that's fleeing from those things. You want to be part of a church that's following after righteousness and faith and charity and peace. But when you find those things, join that church and live the Christian life together with some friends. Live it with them that call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. We don't have to flee and follow alone. God wants us to do it with a group of like-minded believers. What a blessing. What a blessing to have a church family that we can serve with, that, that, that we can love the Lord with, that we can love the, the, the people of this world with and try to reach them with the gospel. 
I'm so thankful for the church family we have here and the good friendship and fellowship that we have with, with, with the other believers uh, in this room, that we can call one another with any need, with any prayer request at any time and know somebody's going to be there that cares on the other end, that we have a church family to do that with. When we struggle, God wants us to struggle together. When we grow, God wants us to grow together. When we have victories, God wants us to have victories together. When we go through grief, God wants us to have grief together. You can experience tremendous spiritual growth as an individual. You individually can be as close to the Lord as you want to be. You, you go after that, you pursue that, but God's set it up in a way where we can do that together. We can be growing together. According to this verse, God wants us to do it with them, with somebody else. You know, the most famous verse on church attendance, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. He said, I want you to be at church and I don't want you to miss because you got a ministry to the other people that are there. It's not just so you can come and sit in a pew and hear somebody preach at you and tell you what you need to do. You go to church for other people, for your church family that's there with you. You do it with them. You do it with them, God says. If you want to grow and take a step for God, bring somebody with you. Encourage somebody from your church family, hey, why don't you come to Sunday school with me? We got this new class going on. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this year. I'm going to go to Saturday visitation once a month. And, and I'd like you to come with me. T- take those steps of growth together. Last time I preached here on a Thursday night was or in the end of last year. And I told you about a, a, a effort I was going to make to spend a little bit more time in my personal devotions. And, and I started a 90-day Bible reading schedule. We um, finished yesterday Psalm 24 uh, for the year so far. We're, we're, we're cruising uh, right through the Bible. But when I went to do that, uh, Lord laid on my heart and I talked to two other men in the church and I said, hey, do you guys want to do this with me? You guys want to do this with me? I'll tell you, I've grown so much more and gotten so much more out of it doing this with them than I'd have ever done doing it on my own. Because God set it up that way where we as a church can do all this. We can be pursuing God. We can be looking for God's approval, building on our foundation, fleeing from what is evil, pursuing what is good. And God said, guess what? I'm going to let you do it with them. I'm going to let you do it with somebody else. We don't have to do it alone. You have a foundation, we have things that we should flee from, things we should follow, and we get to do it with friends. And we, we follow this pattern God, our, God gave to Timothy through Paul, and he said, you can be approved by God. God can look down and say, I'm proud of you. I, I approve of what you're doing. I'm pleased with what you're doing. Hebrews chapter 11 says a very powerful phrase. It says, therefore... God was not ashamed to be called their God. God could look down and say, you know what? By the way that they're acting, the way that they're living, I'm glad that they're telling people that that I'm their God because it's a good reflection. It's a good reflection on me. It brings glory to me through their life. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. What that implies is there's some people in the way that they're living that God says, "I I don't want them to say that I'm part of their life the way that they're living and the things that they care about and pursuing. But God says we can live in a way where we can see God's approval. Where you have God look down and say, you know what, son? I love you and I'm proud of you. Because you're building on that foundation. You're fleeing those things that are wrong. You're following what is right and you're doing it with them. You're doing it together with your church family.